What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. TikTok on the clock as summer starts to draw to a close and TikTok here because it's another full show with amazing Canadian women to get to. So here's what you can expect this week. Canada's healthcare system is in crisis, particularly when it comes to nursing. The Registered Practical Nurses Association of Ontario, representing the voices of over 55,000 registered practical nurses, is raising the alarm after a new survey has found patient care is being critically compromised due to staffing shortages and the standardization of unsafe workloads. Diane Martin, CEO of WeRPN, joins me to discuss. When's the last time you had a self-worth checkup? Jennifer John from The Sacred Space thinks this is a checkup we should do as routinely as we see our family doctor or therapist. A great way to stop self-sabotaging and move yourself out of a rut, a self-worth checkup is easy to do and well worth the reward. Jennifer shares how in today's interview. Ann Brody is here with entertainment, and you will absolutely not want to miss Ron Howard's 13 Lives that takes us inside the harrowing true story of 13 soccer players and their coach trapped underground in a cave in Thailand in 2018 and the incredible rescue that followed. Plus, she has Prey on Disney+, Plus, which is the origin story for Predator and the formulaic but charming wedding season on Netflix. Grandparents in 2022 are not your regular grandparents, they're cool grandparents. Kathy Buckworth has moved from parenting expert to grandparenting expert with her show Go To Grandma that explores different aspects of being a modern grandparent on everything from respecting your kid's way of parenting to finding yourself again once you have an empty nest. If there is one thing that the pandemic has made crystal clear to people, it's that life is too short to be in a job you're not happy at. How do you know when you should choose your mental health over your job? Roxanne Francis is here to help. A trained psychotherapist with more than 12 years of experience in the mental health field, Roxanne joins me to discuss what you should be looking for. Finally, Anne Brody is back again and closes out the show with an interview with renowned and beloved British actor Jim Broadbent. Broadbent stars in Roger Mitchell's The Duke, the true and highly entertaining story of disabled old age pensioner Kempton Button, who in 1961 stole Francisco Goya's portrait of the Duke of Wellington from the National Gallery in London and held it ransom. Anne speaks with Broadbent from his home in England. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. The Registered Practical Nurses Association of Ontario, we RPN, representing the voices of over 55,000 registered practical nurses, is raising the alarm after a new survey has found patient care is being critically compromised due to staffing shortages and the standardization of unsafe workloads. 
I'm not going to waste any time on the introduction today and get right to this very important interview with Diane Martin, Chief Executive Officer for We RPN. Welcome back to What She Said, Diane. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I mean, I read this, so I mean, I know what you're going to be sharing, but it is alarming. So I'm going to let you just jump in and start sharing what you did find. Right. So uh, two years ago, we did a survey right in about six months into the uh, uh, pandemic, and we found that nurses were significantly struggling. And as time has gone on and we the pandemic is kind of, you know, come and gone in waves, we've noticed something very different happening in uh, nursing that is far worse. So we repeated our survey asking key questions like, um, uh, what is your intent to leave the profession? Um, what is your mental health? Uh, how is your mental health doing? Um, what are your experiences with patient care? And found that the problems in nursing have sharply increased. So you first did this survey two years ago. You've repeated it now. Were the results alarmingly different uh, than two years ago? I mean, we were just at the beginning of the pandemic and there was burnout then. I really can't imagine what you're looking at now. Yeah, um, we're looking at a, at, at a real exacerbation in a lot of things. Like, for example, 37% had planned to leave the profession back then, and now it's up to just under 50% uh, are planning to leave the profession. There are uh, a sharp increases in the numbers of nurses, 80%, for example, who feel moral distress at the state they're leaving their patients in at the end of the day because of the staffing issues, um, where they are caring for far more patients than they can care for safely. Those are the sorts of things that we're seeing increase, but there's some new things happening as well. Okay, so can you elaborate then on what is happening now? So um, I think the pandemic really caused a, uh, uh, you know, nurses to consider leaving, but now that they are leaving, that we've actually um, experienced nurses who are leaving the bedside, um, what we're seeing is the nurses that are sort of left behind are having to do the jobs of two nurses and um, in many cases. And that's physically impossible. They are doing their best because nurses are so motivated by outcomes, patient outcomes, doing a good job. And so, of course, the very thing that motivates them is gone, plus the physical and mental strain that they are experiencing. But far worse than that, in my opinion, is when I hear a normalization of that. So I've been talking a lot about the normalization of unsafe workloads. Used to be back when I was providing bedside care, I worked in a labor and delivery unit. And if we had 10 nurses and 20 people showed up in labor, we'd figure it out. It was an abnormal day. We'd sort through it cry a little and hope it never happened again. Or our hospital would shut down the unit and say, you know what, we can't have this. Uh, we're going to redirect today until we can solve this issue. But it was a huge event that we would talk about for months. Remember that day. Um, now it's happening every day. And people are starting to treat it as, as normal, which is devastating to nurses. And even more important is what I've noticed lately is treating abnormal the things that should be normal. For example, I'm suggesting that some of the shutdowns are happening because nurses are taking a summer vacation. When summer vacation is a normal part of staffing, always has been. And now we're hearing references to the problem being 
nurses taking vacation. So it's an extension of that normalization in that they are now abnormalizing. Um, and, and I don't even necessarily blame the, ner- the nurse leaders and the healthcare leaders that are right at the front lines because they're just trying to save lives as well. Um, I think that it, it's time that we really addressed the actual issues. Before we get to the actual issues, I do want to ask you, in this survey, did you look at how nurses are being treated by the public as well? Because I know that there are horrible stories of nurses just being treated terribly uh, by patients. And of course, you know, uh, I'm not even going to mince words on this. The government is treating them terribly. So has that was that brought up? So um, as far as the 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 actions of patients, this is something that you'd be hard pressed to hear nurses talk about because um, of our sense that we are there for them and we understand their frustration. Although some nurses are talking about that, we didn't ask about that. I recently tweeted a personal experience I had in Emerge um, where I saw um, real abuse being uh, handed out to the triage nurse from the people who were waiting. And yet her demeanor was lovely throughout. I mean, I I watched that nurse and was so impressed with her. But we did not ask about the public. We did receive lots of feedback of what nurses are thinking, the sense of abandonment that nurses are feeling from government. So then you talked, we're going to go back to addressing the issues. What are some of the things that need to happen to A, keep our nurses in the profession and improve the healthcare system. We're hearing about emergency rooms closing all over the place. Uh, So how are we going to fix this? Okay, well, first of all, I'm glad you brought up emergency rooms. Emergency rooms and critical care rooms are in dire situations. My daughter uh, has recently left the bedside broken heart um, because she couldn't take it anymore, but she was a critical care nurse. But just as an aside, I want to ask everybody to think about what it says to us as society that long-term care and home care and our most vulnerable people, that nursing shortages are just as great there, but we're not hearing about them. So I just want to say that because I think that um, it, it's become very focused on critical care and, and eMERGE care, and it is everywhere and it is every nurse and it is every patient and as a society, uh, the value we place on different types of nurses reflects the value we, t- we put on different types of patients. That's alarming to me. Um, but uh, as far as the solutions go um, and the answering the issues, nurses are very clear that um, for a long time now, they have not been allowed to negotiate their own wages and that they have fallen so far behind in pay um, because of the cost of living increases. And yet they are doing double the work. So um, it has become a source of some days outrage and other days hopelessness and a real loss of faith in the uh, uh, profession that they um, used to love and uh, a sense of being not valued. And of course, we have Bill 124 that limits their ability to, um, to secure appropriate pay for what they are facing. And why that bill is still in place is a source of major confusion to me. Nothing has ever been more expensive than this nursing shortage. We have nurses who don't want to work anymore, being um, coerced to work, granted sometimes for time and a half, but, but they're exhausted and they're becoming sick. 
We have nurses who say, I've had enough. They leave. They join an agency, get paid up to double the amount to go right back and work in the same unit they worked in with the same um, with the same uh, nurses they worked with, but with, uh, you know, a significantly higher pay. Um, all of this has to be paid for. And I can't think of anything that's more expensive than a nursing shortage. So why are we not doing everything to solve it? Starting with getting rid of that bill. It, it boggles my mind. And if someone has any explanation for me as to why this would be ignored um, for years, even in the light of the fact that we know this is going to get worse. I am with you 100% on this. I am alarmed reading the results of this survey that you did. I want people to be able to find out more and keep on top of this, keep on top of their MPPs about this, uh, and obviously join you in your fight uh, to, to improve the system. So where can people find out more, Diane? Um, you can go to our website. Uh, our report is actually on our website if you want to look. It speaks to such things as it's time for the public to question, am I getting um, all of the things that we, the calls to action that we think people need to take are all found in that report. It's on our website and uh, we'd love for you to visit it uh, and think carefully about all the aspects that are most concerning. Um, and we ask everybody to join us in our action. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope the next time you're here that it's under better circumstances, Diane. Thank you so much, Rev. with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. the last time you had a checkup, as in a self-worth checkup? I'm betting if you're anything like me, the answer is never. So we're going to change all of that today with Jennifer John from The Sacred Space. Jennifer is a certified cognitive behavioral and relationship coach, unstuck expert, author, and co-founder of The Sacred Space Coaching. Together with Denise Chand, The Sacred Space is helping women across North America make empowering shifts to get unstuck in life and relationships and become unstoppable. Welcome back, Jennifer. Hi, Candice. So nice to be here today. Uh, it's great to have you. I love the topic of today's conversation because, you know, we think about checkups, you know, in terms of going to the, maybe our family doctor or a psychologist. But this is really um, a good way to check in with where, where we're at emotionally, right? It is so important because especially with everything that's going on with our mental health and our own well-being, to have a, you know, to purpose for ourselves to have that check-in, you know, with ourselves or with someone that we actually, you know, value and trust that we can check in with them. Where are we at with respect to our self-worth? Because it it has such uh, an impact on every area of our life that we uh, most of us are not conscious of. You know, I, I read this study that said eighty five percent of successful people struggle with self worth. That's a lot of people. A high percentage of them struggle with self worth, and that's the value that they attribute to themselves. 
right? That's that inner value that you belong, that you're good enough, that you feel secure in yourself. And it's so, it's so many people are struggling with this. It warrants us to, you know, check in with ourselves, check in and see where are we at with our own self-worth. How do we view ourselves? When you do this, do you use like an actual physical checklist? Um, you can, you can create one for yourself or just basically just, you know, journal it and see where you're at. Like, how do I view myself? How do I perceive myself? What value do I give myself? You know, I was thinking about this the other day because we can so easily and readily give value to other things and, you know, other, and attribute value to these things and do it accurately. But when it comes to our own self-worth, our, our sense of worthiness, we struggle with that. We tend to undervalue ourselves. And so, you know, just taking some time out, again, it comes with awareness, taking that time out, spending time with yourself, sitting with yourself, and really thinking about the value that you attribute to yourself. Can we go a little deeper on journaling Mm. for a second? Because I used to think that journaling meant I had to you know, write complete sentences. Like I was writing Shakespearean (laughs) novels here or something. Not at all. You know what? I I used to be of that mindset, right? Because when you think of journaling, you're thinking, oh my God, you're writing, you're writing endlessly. No, it's actually journaling is relative to the person. And so if you're that type of person that is very expressive and likes to, you know, really dig in and write and write, you can do that and that will work for you. But if you're not, whatever it is, find the spot, find your spot find your place, find what works for you, right? I like to jot down points, right? And so that works for me. And then as you do that, whatever it is that makes you connect, that that if you were to go back to this, you would know exactly what you meant, where you're at um, and how you view yourself so that it can help you move yourself forward. Yeah, you know, I think we put this crazy pressure on ourselves when we yes. think about journaling. Like, Way too much pressure. Oh yeah, Way like it has to pressure. be this beautiful literary masterpiece and it doesn't and it doesn't have to be like a 1500 you know word essay either it literally it's is it a value to you and that's what you want to get at right is this working for me so you know you take a piece but you sit down you let your thoughts flow and whatever comes to you when you think of yourself when you think of your worthiness when you think of are you good enough when you think of are you worthy of of love are you worthy of the things that you desire for yourself and start writing the things that come to your mind. Are there things that get in the way? Thoughts that get in the way that sort of say, well, no, you're not good enough because, or remember when this happened and you know, this, this relationship or this rejection or this mistake or this, you know, sort of sense of failure, jot those things down because these are the things that are sort of getting in the way of you truly valuing yourself. And you these know- are the things that we need to pay attention to. I was going to ask you, you know, like how often should we be doing this? Like annually, like we do with our doctor. But now that I'm listening to you, I'm thinking we should be doing this every time we have sort of self doubt or we feel like we're less than or not worthy. Is that sort of the idea? Stuck. Yes. Whenever you feel stuck, whenever you feel you can't move forward, whenever you feel there's something that's causing you to really self doubt. Um, causing you to become very anxious. And it's not just a one-off instance. You're noticing it's, you know, it's becoming a little bit more repetitive. Do a self-check. Take, t- block some time off for yourself and do that check and go through to get to what is it 
What is it that's causing me to feel this way? What's influencing and impacting the way that I view myself, the way that I feel about myself? Because that's gonna, that's really going to tell you, you know, do you feel good about yourself? Right. And so you have, you've been doing this with us since you and Denise have been doing these since January. And so I want people to be able to go back and go through all of the interviews and all of the work. So let's share where people can find everything they need with the sacred space right now. Everything that they need with the sacred space can be found at uh, www.sacredspace.com. Um, and then you'll find our Facebook, you know, the 21 day challenge where we actually walk you through 21 days of just really, you know, stopping the self-sabotage. Part of the, the, the issue with, you know, having a low sense of worth is that you tend to sabotage yourself as a result of it. And so just getting to the root of what's causing that self-sabotage. So we have that 21 day um, challenge that you can go on Facebook and you can find it there. And again, www.the-sacredspace.com. Okay. And um, just, I quickly just mentioned too, on what she said, talk.com, you and Denise have been sharing uh, monthly blog posts where we insert the uh, interview and you, you sort of get the opportunity to expand on the yes, conversation. We go deeper. Yes. Deeper into the reasons behind the self-sabotage, you know, the things that we do unaware, you know, and, and just getting to that place of awareness. We, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about awareness and now we're delving into putting into practice, the very things that now we've become aware of, right? Because change comes first when we are aware that there is an issue or that needs to change. All right. Incredible. This has been a great journey with you so far. I'm really looking forward to our last few episodes as we approach the end of the year. So Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Candace. It's been a pleasure. And I know it could not happen. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody, and Anne has a surprise for me, and she probably doesn't know this, but I cannot stand anticipation, so I need to know, Anne, what is the surprise? Well, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. All right. It concerns a new reality show. Think about Windsor Castle. Think about Scandal. Think about polishing images. Uh... All right. I'm going to talk. <laughs> I'm just going to spill it. Prince Charles has a reality show and it's airing on it's starting here August 10th on Makefall. And what he's doing is trying to save these heritage uh, crafts in England. Apparently a couple of years ago, four heritage crafts were declared extinct and a further 56 critically endangered. So what we're going to see here is a competition um, between a wood carver, blacksmith, stone carver, pargeter, whatever that is, stained glass artist and a weaver. So he will be hosting it. He will be judging it. I mean, I can't stand it. I've got to see this. <laughs> well, when you said reality show with Prince Charles, I was thinking we were going to have like a day in the life of the Kardashian sort of ideal. And I thought that's, <laughs> cannot see that for royalty, uh, oh, but no. he's hosting it. So that's a little different. Uh, all right. So let's get to what else you've got this week, because there's a lot oh, of yeah. really good shows. Can we start yeah. with 13 lives? Cause I oh. just fascinating. 
you know, back in 2018, the soccer team and coach were saved from Tham Luang Cave in Thailand when it flooded. And this is so intense and so dangerous. It, fo- it follows this, the search to get them out, the international efforts, all the obstacles they faced. It's made by Ron Howard. So it's just full of human empathy and compassion. Um, on Prime Video. So it's about uh, what happened when these kids got trapped. They had no food, no water, no nothing for 13 days. And miraculously, they survived. And we all know that it's not a spoiler. But honestly, this is one of the best uh, sort of thriller uh, docu-bios that I've seen in a long while. And kudos to Ron Howard. Well, I was just going to say, Ron Howard genuinely has that touch, doesn't he? With just everything he does. Do you remember a couple of years ago, he did a, a documentary on the fire in uh, California, where in the town where he grew up in paradise? I was bawling my eyes out. Just anyway, it's so good. And it's on, as I said, Prime Video. All right. Tell me about Prey. It looks spooky. You know, I don't like spooky, but it does look quite interesting. So it's not your typical horror, right? Well, no. And it's very inspiring for women. There's a female protagonist, a Comanche woman, 1750 in the Great Plains of America. And she is interested in hunting and doing all the things the men do. They don't like it. However, she turns out to be the greatest warrior of them all when this creature from somewhere appears and threatens to wipe out life on earth. It sounds silly, but it's just so realistically done and so triumphant. Um, And it's the actual origin story to Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ah. So, you know, it's a lot of fun too. I felt something very familiar watching that trailer. And now that you've said that, I'm like, it makes sense. Right. So perfect. Okay. Where's that on? Oh, that's uh, um, Hulu. Okay. Uh, tell me about wedding season. All right. This is Netflix. Um, uh, it's first uh, venture into the summer of love. And it's about <laughs> traditional arranged marriages in Hindu communities. And it's supposed to be set in Jersey. It's Toronto. You will see a ton of different Toronto landscapes. So we have Pallavi Sharda and Suraj Sharma. And they are international stars, Bollywood, all over the place. And they play a couple of kids, well, adults, whose parents are trying to set them up and they will not have it. But their mothers just harass them to death about it. So they start to fake date and you know what happens. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's so and colorful and lovely and it'll raise your spirits. So I, I highly recommend it. And I have an interview with them. Listen, I fall into this every time. I realize it's a formula. They're totally playing me. But man, I'm a sucker for these shows. I just, they, they're they lighthearted. They're fun. And it's just what we need, right? Yeah, especially, I mean, these days we need uplifting. All right. Uh, luck on Apple looks pretty cute. Yeah, it's uh, um, actually John Lasseter's first non-Disney uh, animated film. And he's got big stars, Jane Fonda, Whoopi Goldberg, Simon Pegg, Lil Rel Howery, who I love, and John Ratzenberger, who's always in a Lasseter film. So it's about a little girl who has bad luck. She goes to the land of luck 
to try and find some. And there's all these different adventures and, and luck is a fabulous place. But, you know, as happens, it's going to have tremendous challenges. She's going to be tested to the limit. And Jane Fond is so good as the dragon. <laughs> so it's worth it. It's very bright and colorful. If you have sensitivity to light and color, you know, skip it. The kids are going to eat it up with a spoon. All right. Well, you know what, parents right now, I'm telling you, as we're going into August and things are dragging on, parents want something to entertain their kids. So this sounds perfect. You've got this. You've got a whole bunch more over on whatshesaidtalk.com this week and new entertainment. But you also have an interview coming up later on the show with Jim Broadbent from the Duke. God, I love that guy. He is just brilliant, isn't he? And he's so self-effacing. You know, I just love him. So... Yeah, watch it. He makes me happy every time I see him on screen. Yeah. I just, uh, there's something about his character. He's just lovely. So, all right, I'm looking forward to that. And we'll see you next week. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. today are built different. They're not your regular grandparents, they're cool grandparents, and no one knows that better than my next guest. Kathy Buckworth is the author of six parenting books, one novel, and a screenplay. She currently hosts the radio show and podcast Go To Grandma. She is a regular on television and radio across Canada speaking about parenting and grandparenting issues. She has four grown children and two young grandsons. She joins me today to discuss her radio show and podcast Go To Grandma. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Nice to see you, Candice. Nice to hear you as well. I would like to say I'm surprised that you started this, but I'm really not. Uh, you <laughs> were, I mean, I've known you for years and you always spoke about parenting. So it just seemed like a natural thing for you to now talk about grandparenting. Did that transition for you from parent to grandparent, were you nervous at all? Did it feel natural? It's a great question because actually I grew up not really knowing my own grandparents. Um, they're in England. So we met them. I met my grandparents maybe five times. You know what I mean? So I did not have like a close relationship with them. They were fine. They were lovely people, but they weren't a part of our everyday life. And I knew that when my daughter Victoria said that she was having a baby, we would be parts of maybe not their everyday life, but certainly a big part of their of their lives um, on a regular basis. So that was going to be a different sort of role that I, I had not really seen role models because even my own parents who live in the, you know, in Canada, didn't have a super close relationship with my kids. Um, they were typical grandparents who just visited them for a Sunday dinner, you know, and on special occasions, et cetera. They were never involved with picking the kids up for hockey or things like that, like some grandparents are. So you sort of have to decide what's my role going to be and how do you want to play it? And there's benefits, obviously, to being super close, but then you can get you know, you have to really pay attention to what's going on and really listen to their rules and regulations. Or you can be the kind of grandma that just hands out cookies when they come over. So, you know, you got you to gotta pick and choose. And, and I think that's hard for some grandparents is, you know, when you see your children raising children, it's hard to bite your tongue 
sometimes. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, Candace. You can imagine. So my daughter's grand, her sons, my grandsons are now two and a half and 15 months, both boys, Cam and Owen, and they're adorable. But Victoria is, she, this is what is described as um, intentional parenting. Every parenting phase era has a new name. So intentional parenting is what Victoria practices. Victoria actually is trained. Um, she's a teacher and she's an EC in child studies. So she's, and she worked in marketing for years before she, you know, had her kids and stuff. So she's got a pretty well-rounded base of research and knowledge around how she really wants to parent her kids. And it is very intentional. So it has been a change for us. I was very much an autocratic parent, you know, not democratic. It's like, cause I said so. I mean, one of my books is called shut up and eat for going to sake, right? So I was very much, um, sort of you're going to do what I tell you to not mean not argumentative not anything it was just the way that we sort of ran the family because I said so it was a perfectly logical explanation for me to give my children not so in my daughter's household where they have great conversations with the kids they are uh, more likely to be child-led on certain activities I can get into that if you want a little bit um, and the way that they sort of address misbehavior is maybe a little bit different their approach to feeding is a little bit different I would say that their approach to sleeping is pretty much the same I was pretty strict with sleep schedules as is Victoria. Um, but it's been an interesting process and one that I'm happy to learn from. I'm being quite sincere. It's nice not being in charge. It's nice not being the rule maker. Like, what should I do, Victoria? You know, you tell me. Um, and I actually quite enjoy that role, which I know for some people might might not sit too well. Well, I think that some people must get to this stage of life and feel a little lost. Like maybe they're floundering mm -hmm. a little about, you know, because they don't have that same sort of involvement in their children and grandchildren's lives. And you talk a lot about, you know, fulfilling your life at this stage as well. It's not mm -hmm. all about being a grandparent, right? You focus on other not aspects. Not at all. Yeah. 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 So that's a great question. And actually, I joked about this when um, Victoria was having her first baby. I still had my last kid in high school because I have four kids and she's the oldest and there's like an 11 year difference. So I'm like, am I growing up in rural Arkansas somewhere? Like I've got a kid in high school and I end up a grandma. Come on. Like, sorry, that was rude to people who are living in Arkansas. But anyway, uh, you know what I mean? It's a stereotype of like, you know, this grandma. And I thought, no, this is kind of cool because I'm actually still parenting an older kid, obviously a 17, 18 year old, while my daughter is going through being a parent herself. Um, so I sort of didn't have that pure downtime of empty nester. And then guess what happened? The pandemic. So everybody moved to our house. I mean, my daughter, her husband, the new baby, my son who lived in Collingwood, he came back. My two university kids were at home and uh, we were all here together. So it was a really strange dynamic from the time the baby was about three months old. So we really were hands-on. They bought a house and moved out when he was about, I don't know, eight, nine months or something like that. And then we couldn't see them at all because of the pandemic, because they were so afraid of him uh, catching something. So, uh, yeah, so it was a very strange start to our grandparent journey, I guess. Um, everyone's will be different. I know a lot of friends right now will, will definitely go from the pure empty nest to maybe not even being a grandparent for the next five or 10 years, um, depending when you had your kids and how old they are. Um, so I, again, everyone's journey is a little bit different. So what we try to do on the, on the podcast on go to grandma is really talk about the different things that all of today's grandparents are going through. And that can be sort of the relationships with your kids and your grandkids, but also technology, social media, fitness, food, travel, adventure, like all of these things are all, as you've just mentioned, I'm not just a grandma and none of us are. We're all of these things. We're still parents too. And there's still parenting issues. How much, that's like having a, you know, a zit when you got a wrinkle, you know what I mean? It's like, you're still dealing with all the same stuff with your kids. So it's, so my youngest is now in, uh, just finished second year university. So he's coming along, but he's still a young adult, you know? And then, like I said, everyone's journey is differently. So we try to address all different aspects of the grandparents 
parenting life. And have you talked a lot? Because like you said, this happened during the pandemic. So has there been a lot of discussion around uh, grandparenting during the pandemic? Because that is a weird dynamic to be going through. Totally weird. And yes, we've spent a lot of time on that just in the sense that, like I said, I they were in my face for the first like four or five months. And then they were gone from us for a while, even though they only lived five minutes down the road. They're still very cautious with it. If I go over to actually hands-on babysit the kids, I actually still isolate for a week before I go there to make sure I'm super careful. Their two young sons have been vaccinated once, um, but their, their youngest son had some medical concerns. So we really were super careful around uh, our time with them. So we sort of went from all to nothing to a little bit to something. Um, they're coming over this Saturday, but they're staying outside the whole time and we'll keep our distance from them. So we see them, but don't see them. And a lot of grandparents are in a similar boat, I think. Lots of Zoom calls, lots of FaceTime, you know, with them and everything. Um, but a different experience again. So knowing technology has been really important, right? If you want to FaceTime, and that's pretty simple technology, but not for everyone, you, you have to know how to do that, you know, with your grandkids. I agree. And I want to go back a little bit to sort of um, the beginning of the conversation, because you did transition from sort of this parenting expert into a grandparenting expert. And what have you learned along the way now that you've had the show almost two years, right? I'm going into the second year, actually. So just a year. Yeah, we're going to season two, just this uh, next couple of weeks. Um, you know, what I've learned is that sometimes I, I talk a lot about uh, following my daughters and my son-in-law's rules with the grandkids. And I really do. I don't try to cheat. I don't, I might go and have a glass of wine with girlfriends afterwards and say, you'll never believe what they're doing, but that's okay. That's my circle of conversation. I don't have it with my, you know, and for the 99% of the time, I totally agree with what they're doing. But I think what I've done a bunch of interviews myself when I'm trying to promote the radio show and podcast on TV and different things. And when I say that, when I say, you know, you really have to listen to their rules because they hold the keys to the grandkid kingdom and they can take them away. I get a pushback from people and they're like, no, I know better. I'm giving them good advice. They shouldn't be ignored. I'm like, you're blowing the relationship. And number one, what you have to do is protect the relationship. So you need to go by their rules, unless obviously you think the kids are being harmed in some way, then you would step in. But just, you know, don't give them a cookie before dinner, or I don't know, like they have to have a nap from this exact moment. When my daughter says, get them up from the nap at 8, 12 or whatever, I get them up at eight. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's right. I do what I'm told. And we have a great relationship as a result uh, from that, you know? So I think that has surprised me a little bit doing this, that people are really, no, grandma knows best. And I, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do when they're at my house. And I, my daughter didn't let her kids watch TV until they were two. And I had a lot of people say, well, don't you let them watch it at your house? And I'm like, no, I don't actually, because she trusts me literally with their lives when they're at my house. Why would I break that trust over TV? Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, getting pushback on that has been interesting to me. And again, everyone's experience is different, but I'm just saying that for a smoother relationship, I would recommend following their rules. All right. I love it. I think a lot of people could uh, benefit from hearing this. <laughs> so I want them uh, to find your show. So where can they do that, Kathy? And keep up with you because you're also not just on radio. You're all over social media. You're on TV. You're a hard woman to keep up with. So where can people find you? Well, my website is kathybuckworth.com, of course, and it's just my name on all the on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I am not a TikToker. Sorry about that. I'm not sure if that'll ever come. And they can find this show on Zoomer Radio, and it's online at zoomerradio.ca if they're not in the Toronto area, but it's AM740 and 96.7 FM Toronto. And then it's up on the podcast where you can find you know iTunes and Spotify, et cetera. You can find your podcast. So I hope people listen in. We've had some fantastic guest experts and some really fun grandparents and and yeah I call it it's a, a combo of fun and facts because that's what we're trying to get out into this world and change people's perceptions maybe of what grandparenting is all about 
Yeah, I love it. I think a lot of people can end up with a strained relationship uh, between parents and grandparents when it mm-hmm. when the, the child comes in because there could be conflicting uh, ideas. So yes. I, I love your advice. I hope people tune in. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Candace. It's a pleasure. All right. It's about are leaving their jobs in droves right now and are fueling what has been called the Great Resignation. Leaving is not always an easy decision, though, since we need that recurring paycheck to survive. To quote Kenny Rogers, though, you've got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, and know when to walk away. To help us tell the difference today is Roxanne Francis, founder and CEO of Francis Psychotherapy and Consulting Services. She is joining me now to share what you need to know before you hand in your resignation. Welcome to What She Said, Roxanne. Thank you so much for having me, Candace. We are seeing a massive uh, departure from the workforce right now. I think the pandemic has people thinking about what they want out of their life, you know, and also what they want from their employers. But how do we know when we really need to leave? Like it's when it's affecting mental health. Are there signs? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's really, really important to know uh, what these signs are. And yes, there are signs. Uh, they're not all the same for everyone and they're not all the same for the industry. But you really need to look at your level of functioning and your stress level, how that's increasing. One of the things that I, I talk to people about is what I like to call the Sunday scaries. If you are someone who works generally nine to five, Monday to Friday, and you know you have a great time on the weekend, usually around Sunday at around four o'clock, five o'clock, we start to really panic because we know Monday is coming, right? Are you not, it's not just about, oh, I don't wanna go to work tomorrow, but it's more about panic attacks, crying, feeling really depressed about going into the office the next day. You know, when you are working in an, in an oppressive environment, it can really play a number on your mental health. And so, you know, how are you functioning at work as well? Are you dropping the ball all the time? Are you crying in meetings? Are you, um, you know, crying in the stall in the bathroom at work or, um, or in your car during your lunch break? You know, one of the things that happened to me in my personal journey is I would get to work in the morning and I would sit in my car for 10 minutes and cry before I would go into the office, right? So I knew that I needed to take um, a really good look at myself at the workplace. Are you, uh, you know, take a look at absenteeism. Are you calling in a lot? Are you exhausting your sick time, taking a lot of mental health breaks, but not feeling any better? How do you feel when you go back to work from your vacation? These are some really critical things to look at as well. Um, burnout is a huge, huge factor. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the great resignation. And uh, another way to look at it is really the great reevaluation. I, I like that. I like that better, actually. Uh, and it's fitting, I think, that you're on this this sh- this week's show because we also spoke with uh, nursing, uh, head of WeRPN we at the top of the hour. And uh, nursing is seeing uh, an incredible uh, departure of, of staffing right now because of burnout. Mm-hmm. So how do you know, are there signs to know that you're, you're approaching burnout? 
Yeah. And, you know, the signs are are kind of similar to the, that stress factor that I was talking about earlier. Um, not feeling uh, really uh, dejected about going into work or carrying a lot of uh, depression. Uh, when you are in a job where there seems to be no room for advancement or there is too much work for you, uh, the workload is becoming exhausting, um, you know, how is what's your energy like when you are around friends when you have downtime what does that feel like oftentimes we are unable to when we're approaching burnout you're unable to find that joy in life anymore you know you are taking you're considering taking a mental health leave or maybe you do take a leave but when you go back to work nothing has changed and you're starting to feel that um that sadness that frustration a lot of anger and resentment uh, talking to your boss, but nothing's changing. Um, you get a, a, a financial increase, a pay increase, but nothing's changing for you. These are some of the things to really take a look at. Are you uh, feeling more anxious? Are you feeling um, more sad or more, more uh, down and depleted about going into the office? When you're going into the office, but you're not connecting with your colleagues there anymore. When you are constantly taking, uh, you know, working through your lunch break. A lot of these pieces are things to really look at. Um, you know, what we're facing with our nurses is really, really challenging. Uh, it's been something that's been going on for a while throughout COVID, but they have been working in this nonstop, unrelenting, working through sick, being sick. That's a huge problem. And I know I've talked about the idea of absenteeism. Another thing to think about is presenteeism. And that's the phenomenon where you are going to work, but you're kind of zoning out. You're not working to the 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 um to the to the outmost the putting out the output. Sorry, that you used to put out. Um, you know, you are dropping the ball. You are making excuses. Things are unfinished. Uh, you're having um conflict quite a, a lot with your colleagues. These are some things to really pay attention to. There are people out there who would love to quit, but financially they just can't and they don't have anywhere else to go. Are there measures you can put in place to protect your mental health? Yes, I would say, um, you know, do what you can to put in some boundaries at work. So take your lunch break, leave when it work is over, uh, get to work on time, uh, you know, take your vacation. Uh, take mental health leave if you can, if you have sick time, if you have the opportunity to, if you work at a large organization, you have the opportunity to engage in a project that's maybe outside of your scope or connect with another department. It can break the day up for you. It can break the week up for you. Try to do some of those pieces and talk to your colleagues about how they have managed to uh, navigate their own, their own burnout. Incredible. So I want people to be able to find you and connect with you. Where can they do that? They can do that. Uh, I often hang out on Instagram at Francis Psychotherapy. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Roxanne Francis, and I'm also on Twitter, Francis Therapy. Thank you so much for joining me today, Roxanne. Thank you for having me. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
Closing out today's show is Anne Brody with an interview with the lovable Jim Broadbent, currently starring in The Duke alongside Helen Mirren. Enjoy. Will the defendant please stand? Kempton Bunton, you were charged that on the 21st of March 1961, you stole from the National Gallery a priceless portrait of the Duke of Wellington by Francisco Jose de Goya. You know, you play uh, Kempton Bunton, who was a real life figure, and he had uh, admirable reasons for stealing the Goya portrait of the Duke of Wellington. And I wonder, had he not been so high-minded and so lovable, would the outcome have been different? I think it probably would have been, but he's, he's an engaging character and he's he's got a wit and he's got a heart and he's uh, loves people and expects them to <laughs> appreciate what he is. So, so he's a... Um, made for an attractive story and uh, not only to the filmmakers but also to the the jury in the trial when he finally came to trial and to us it was just it's the loveliest yes. film and i mean you walk a fine line because he he did something illegal but we're rooting for him <laughs> well he does say he does say in in the trial that he, he didn't steal it he borrowed it <laughs> yes there's a, yes so there's a and the the his lawyers make a very good case for the uh, the borrowing of the portrait, which yes. is, uh, um, which is, I suppose that is as you. But as you say, it's a fine line. How long you borrow something for is a is a debate, I suppose. <laughs> yes, and he uses the uh, uh, lawnmower as a very good and relatable uh, case. So yeah. it's all good, um, yeah. you know. And he's a he's a man of great honor. He loses his job when he defends a black employee. Your heart goes out to him. He's such a good man. He misses and thinks about and writes plays and poems about his late daughter. And yet his wife is so angry sort of with him. She is angry with him, but I think there is love there as well. I mean, there's an exasperation. I mean, and Helen Mirren, who who plays Dorothy, his his wife, is just so wonderful. And Her Helen has said that she swore she'd never play a long-suffering wife. But here she is <laughs> in playing the longest-suffering wife you could imagine. But I think she loves him and knows um, and, and knew what she was getting into. I think she, a, she says in the film that Kempton's mother said to her that most of his, when she when she was going to marry him, most of his faults are good ones, but also something. So I think she is exasperated by him, and uh, and very later on in the film, very very angry and very upset. Core of it is the is her the love of the and the love of the family. They are a, a they are a, a loving family who work together, work through things together, and and it's. Some of my favorite scenes in the film, actually, are the family scenes. Great. And there's quite a twist, too, involving the family that there occurs. There is a twist. There is a twist. Oh. <laughs> Very good twist. <laughs> Something I love about the script, I mean, it's really tight. It's really efficient. It bounces. It's, But the use of the, of the local language, the colloquialisms, I just found so charming. My mom came from Yorkshire, and I, I heard a lot of them, but there were a lot of new ones here. So I was just uh, riveted. And it's so musical and poetic the way both of, both characters speak, husband and wife. The dialect, the 
the Geordie dialect is the north the, Geordie, the accent of the northeast, which we in Newcastle, which is, is always referred to as the Geordie accent, um, was the biggest challenge for Helen and myself. We're not Geordies, but the writing is um, so clever. They, they, they've captured the vernacular, the flow, the rhythm of the of the Geordie accent, so it flowed very easily to get into the accent because the structure of the sentences, in a way, it just is so specific. You know, it makes it flow uh, far more easily than it might have done. So um, it felt natural. That's, yeah, that's, very that's natural. So cool. Now, are you the sort of actor who speaks with living relatives or, or survivors? Did you speak to the sons? Uh, only at the um, uh, only at the premiere in London, yeah. which we premiered in the National Gallery, actually. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> there's a cinema in the National Gallery and we premiered it there and it wasn't actually I think it was um his Kempton's grandson was was one of the, was able to be there um and so I didn't see uh, but, but prior to that we hadn't spoken to any of them family they they came up with the idea of making a film of it and sent it to sent it sent the uh outline of the story to the producer and who jumped at it and uh, and worked worked from there so there was I'm so glad they did because it's <coughs> just the most heartwarming story Kempton is so focused on his daughter and uh honoring her continually honoring honoring her which angers his wife so tell me a little about that the the portrait of the the photograph portrait of the daughter in the in the film is actually the the, the real daughter who, who died so that that was given to the filmmakers by the bunton family just to, so just to show that they were they were behind it yes and that's the complexity that's that's also being shown here as well um and the fact that you were uh agitating for old age pensioners so that they wouldn't have to pay tv license fees and he succeeded because that it was made law. Yeah, many years later. <laughs> well, yeah, forty years later. But he's, he'd he had set it out there. He put it out there as a possibility. I think earlier earlier on. So that, uh, so finally, people came around to the um, idea that you could uh, give free TV licenses to old age pensioners and war widows. And, uh, yeah. Well, well done. I love the film so much. It just gave me so much joy and it will give our audiences a lot of joy as well. Thank I, I, you, Jim. I hope it will. Thank you very much. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.